This is Shop Talk Radio, episode 58, with Brian Sergens. Welcome to Shop Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nick Onken, and on this show, we're bringing you inspiring guests to dive underneath the hood of the creative entrepreneurial lifestyle to bridge the gap between art, commerce, and inspiration. What is up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Shop Talk Radio. Today, we have my good friend, Brian Sergitz, on the show, and Brian is an amazing and brilliant individual. Brian and I met, actually, funny enough, on a cab ride home, an Uber ride home, on a, about 3 o'clock in the morning from the Guggenheim Museum. Brian just left the Huffington Post as the senior VP of Impact to go and start his own thing. He's a brilliant mind when it comes to impact and technology, which we talk a lot about today. We also talk about his career beginning in music management. We talk a lot about the mystique of artistry, representing yourself as a musician in a way that doesn't conform to the world. So many things. We talk about the importance of listening to your truth without oversharing it much, much more. We also talk about redefining the American dream, about how experience is the new luxury goods. Brian is a very empathetic human, and we talk a lot about how to integrate empathy into your art and to your to, into technology and to make the world a better place, which Brian's mission is to make the world a better place. And with that, I bring to you the one and only Brian Sergitz. What is up, everyone? Today, we've got Brian Surguts on the show. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about a lot of things here. Uh, Brian is a brilliant individual and was the senior VP, right, at uh, HuffPo Impact? Having to post, that is. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. And he's got an amazing story. We were chatting the other day. So I want to kind of just jump into... You know, what you built, the the impact that you built at Huffington Post, and then we'll kind of dive mm-hmm. into your backstory, which is an amazing story. Okay. So give us the give us the big picture of, of Huffington Post. Well, that's, <laughs> you know, the, it's, it was um, an idea, the idea that started, which uh, at the time I was the president of a company called Coscast. And mm. what we did was we were... Um, connecting people using uh, social impact campaigns, using technology and content. And at the time, I thought about having a dedicated uh, uh, business as a part of our bigger business that would actually tell stories mm. um, about people helping people. Now, it's not exactly a, you know, a, 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 you know, one of those business models that were going to make it go gangbusters for people to click on things, but we felt it was an important thing. Mm-hmm. And Costcast, we felt if we had a lot of different partners in which to uh, work with us to distribute this content, it'd be interesting to create a network of what the first thing I remember thinking about is like, what if you had a network of everybody in the Peace Corps that were writing and telling stories of where they were, mm-hmm. would we be actually getting a whole new news syndicate of what's happening? So the kind of the idea of impact was born from that. Um, and you know, we, you know, we, we started to build out the model and, you know, the Huffington Post was the first partner that we worked with that, uh, that, that we, that Coscast had a, you know, a joint venture partnership for the launch of impact. Mm-hmm. Um, and it quickly became very successful, not just from a traffic perspective, but just people were sharing a lot of the stories we were seeing a lot of people 
And this is right when social media was starting to take off. People were Twitter and Facebook were just coming mm -hmm. up. And so um, we were seeing a lot of engagement uh, of people sharing these stories. You know, they were getting like twice as they were twice. They were getting shared twice as much as other uh, wow. Huffington Post stories, but yet they weren't getting like the, the exact, like the, the, the rampant amount of page views too. But yet there was a, you know, to us, there was a value of people sharing these stories. Mm. So after, you know, we launched impact, I launched our education vertical, uh, there as well. And another section called good news, which was all around positive news around, around the world. And the thing that made, you know, these sections go were the amazing editors that worked on the sections on a daily basis. Ariana really believed in, um, you know, the, you know, having, this is, a, you know, as an important part of the DNA of Huffington Post, it's all, it was always about what can, how can we use technology and storytelling in which to help other people? Mm. And my theory was that tell a story uh, because you relate to it personally and mm. someone's going to find the courage to do something amazing mm. and they're going to replicate that. And so the Huffington Post platform and Ariana and Roy and a lot of the people that were there really believed in the, in the, in the vision for it. And they made perfect partners for us. And it, and at a certain point, um, you know, Huffington Post acquired impact from Coscast and, mm. and the team came, came over to, to Huffington Post. That's amazing. Well, it's, it's, it was, it's great to see the impact that you guys have been making from that. And you recently just worked, you kind of, you're moving on to bigger and better things. Yeah. I'm just a new, a new, new, new startup that is in stealth mode right now. So <laughs> I'm, I, I would like to share it, but not, but it, it, it would be too soon at this time. Absolutely. Very so. exciting. Well, let's just, I want to hear your story. I want you to tell your story of, uh, of how you came to this, this place. I mean, you've had, you were telling me the other day, you, you have so many backgrounds, you were touring with all these amazing people. So and, and went through a lot of ups and downs mm -hmm. and, and I want to kind of jump through that and, and hear your story. It's a lot, there's a lot of ups and downs. <laughs> um, but what's interesting is, uh, is somebody asked me recently when I, when I told them, you know, what, uh, what my, my past was like. And they said, would you, if you had it all over to do again, would you do it? And I was, I was like, yeah, I'd do it, you know, every day of the week and twice on Sunday, even mm -hmm. though you know, there were periods of, I didn't know where my next meal was going to come from or where I was going to sleep. And, you know, when I was trying to pursue a dream of starting a record company in Los Angeles <laughs> and I was so stubborn, uh, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't just, uh, you know, sort of like fade and, and I needed, I needed to do, I just, for whatever reason, just needed to, 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 to win. I don't know why, but, um, you know, it's sort of, but the journey begins with, um, you know, be, you know, with leaving school, I was at NYU at the time and I was managing, uh, an NYU band called sound advice. And I was literally going to the different clubs in Greenwich village, trying to get gigs for this band. And mm. I was, I was like, just, Hey, you know, you give us 50 bucks, you know, uh, I'll bring 10 kids who could drink, you know, and, you know, literally, so that's how, you know, we would go to all the different clubs, you know, like the, you know, that were, that were around NYU and, it was Nightingale. All these all these clubs are gone too. There was a Lions Club, Nightingale, um, wow. Wetlands. You know, so these you know where a lot of big bands were discovered: Blues Traveler, Joan Osborne, Spin Doctors. There was like a New York music scene that was yeah. that evolved from that. And um, and we were part of that whole thing. And it was just it was great to you know feel that energy of New York and like mm -hmm. the really the the early nineties um, when you know there was there was a, there was still edge in the city where a lot of the artists lived downtown. There were a lot of bands were playing and people. You know, just like I remember just having drinks with Jeff Buckley. I mean, I was just like just hanging out because he wow. was gay, dating one of my friends and would just casually just 
you know, just chilling. I mean, so that was, it was a very tight knit community uh, back then. And, um, and leaving NYU to, you know, get a job with a company called artists and audience entertainment. And I was the first assistant agent. I remember, mm-hmm. uh, I remember trying to pitch the band to the, to Alex who uh, started the company. And, and he's kind of like looking at me like, why am I listening to this music? <laughs> My daughter tells me you want a job. And I was like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Into communications, yeah, I, I totally, yeah, yeah, uh, and and literally just 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 you know kind of flew into why I wanted to work there. I had no idea that I, I wasn't even really looking for a job, but the ability, the opportunity um, to work for Alex, who at the time just left ICM to represent Guns N' Roses and Paul McCartney, were was like, oh my god, like, and and I remember. Um, before actually I started traveling more with, mm-hmm. with him in the band, like just, and, and, you know, being in Los Angeles more, you know, Alex put his hand around me at, at the show, um, at giant stadium when Metallica and Guns N' Roses were playing with Faith No More. And he, and he, and he remember, he's just like, you see all these people here. He's like, you had something to do with this. And at that moment, I don't know, just, it just clicked mm-hmm. for me that I needed to feel this again. I needed to be in the business of, of again, what the company's, what you know? It's it, what the name of the company, artists and audience, which is that mm. the connection between the artist that was on stage and the audience and the experience that they would have, and that actually would it, interesting. What I learned from that, as I'm talking about this, I'm starting to see this as the parallels between what yeah. I do now, which is a connection of of tech, you know using technology to connect the user and the content and the story. Mm, yeah. And it's interesting how art sort of trans, transcends that, which is this connection between the artist mm. and the person that's experiencing that art. Yeah. And so what I went through at that time was no different than sort of what I do now. So I literally having to actually work for Guns N' Roses at the time actually <laughs> did in a way help later to actually like, uh, you know, build better digital architecture yeah. in the sense of how people relate to other people using technology. Wow. That's, that's powerful. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's a different technology back then as well. Yes, that was. Uh, I remember having to run. To, I remember having to run to payphones. You know, that's sort of kind of you know telling people what my, you know my real age was. But this is you know again like that was um, you know you know the the how do you continue to keep that connection strong? Because mm-hmm. technology is a tool. Too too much of a tool could be also bad for something. Yeah, you know there's you know I, I, we talk about music today. You want to, like again like I think if Jimi Hendrix and Led Zeppelin came out, everyone would be like where's the behind the scenes version and what's the actual B sides and let's go right. behind and let's look in the studio and Hey Jimmy, can you actually do this interview? Like, be like get the fuck out of here. Like, <laughs> just like, no, like Led Zeppelin, like they, there's a mystique to, to artistry. There's a, there's a, there's something that we connect with, mm-hmm. um, by, by withholding things and letting our imaginations work versus actually having it all spelled out for us yeah. and delivering this sort of like, I need to have it now type of, you know, credo. Um, and I do believe the artists that actually do can, do have a sense of mystique around them and actually have, you know, they, they have a, a good relationship with their fans, but it's not overly, um, accessible. Mm. Um, the idea of them and what they represent to their lives becomes more important than the actual, I need to know what mm. Matt from this band is doing in the dressing room at this exact time <laughs> with a tweet. And I really think that's a very interesting balance that a lot of artist managers mm. and bands and labels uh, need to walk today. Uh, and, and so technology is, again, it's allowed for more people to listen to things, but it's also um, uh, diluted a lot of music scenes in a way, right? So yeah. since the internet came up, 
can you name, except for EDM, a type of scene that, that kind of rose up to represent an actual movement since hip hop? Not really. Like, yeah, no. exactly. So it's like literally grunge rock, hip hop, and then all of a sudden technology happens where, where everyone's like music's now on the internet. Napster is exploding. And by the way, record sales were going up when Napster was actually at its peak. Yeah. Um, and all of a sudden now we don't have those scenes developing. Yeah. You don't have the opportunity for 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 the roots to take place with these mm -hmm. groups where they're just playing out and just not looking for like trying to basically get signed or at least put their record, you know, or single out on Spotify so they get like or iTunes to get 50,000 downloads so they can tour. It's literally just people are just playing to play. Yeah. And so there's there's how do you get back that essence of purity with artistry where the commerce is of course is important because people need to eat. Yeah. Um, but, and I, and I, and I, so I, I value, um, a lot of the musicians that are, that are doing it today. And I think there's some great tools for them. Yeah. But again, I would, I would always stress that, that, you know, um, how they represent themselves is, you know, that is true to their art and not having to conform to, so that they, you know, that they just to sell or, or, you know. Yeah. So how do you, how do you think you remain authentic as an artist with technology? Um, I think your voice, if, if it, if it allows your voice to, uh, come through in an authentic way and based on the amount that you do, cause it could be a lot and it could be not, it could be like, so, like a, like trickle or not even at all. Mm -hmm. Again, I think that your fans will, um, connect with that because it's true. Yeah. And I, and that's the really thing is how do you, I think that's, there's an old saying and like, I guess like, I think it's like the Buddhists have, which, uh, when they talk about meditation, and they say, you know, um, you know, you don't meditate in order to actually experience the world. You meditate to realize that you're actually already in a meditation, hmm. that your life is a meditation. Wow. And the thing with artists, and that's why you meditate in order to remember that. Right. I think artists are already in a period of truth. Yeah. And they have to remember that all the time in which that they actually, and it gets, and it, don't get me wrong, it's going to, it gets harder. It gets you know, the more people become involved if it's starting to be a money-making uh, operation and where you can do this full-time and not have to have two, three yeah. jobs um, and in all the stuff that gets involved with that. Um, but again, I think that sort of thing is like, what's the, tr you know, how do you keep your truth? And I think that's the, you know, so my, so my, what I, what I would recommend is that anybody looks, looks at these tools and, and, and think and experiment, but still be there, have their own voice. Don't let anybody else you know, use those things for selling things or, you know, I think they're good for, Hey, letting people know that you're in the area or they're doing a show or that you're communicating directly with your fans. I think those, that's great. But yeah. I think if it's, Hey, I'm looking, I'm looking at my peach, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, that, 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 that every day I think, but it could work too. Yeah. You know, you know again, YouTube stars are, are behind the scenes <laughs> phenomena in regards to like, you know, about people we want to connect. Yeah. That's what we're looking for. Right. Mm -hmm. But is too much connection is too much information is too much access actually, um, a bad thing. Yeah. And I think we're going to, I think we're history is going to show us what's, uh, what's real and what's not, but I think it's comes back to one's truth. Yeah, absolutely. And I know, I know for myself as an artist, you know, social media is helped broaden a brand and, and grow my brand and, and social influence in terms of people, right. you know, creating a buzz. I don't think I've ever really gotten jobs necessarily, you know, commercial jobs, which is a whole different side of art. 
Um, I have mm-hmm. never really gotten jobs from social media, but it's been another avenue to um, share my process and right. share um, the art that I'm working on. But it also could be a consideration when they look at actually your followers, for example, like you mm-hmm. have a built in audience. Yeah. So you don't know if that goes into consideration when you're getting built, when you're getting hired. Yeah. Because then people can show, Hey, listen, you know, we, you know, Nick just shot this great campaign for this, for this brand. And cause you have X amount of more followers and say like a photographer that may not have any. Yeah. Does that go into their consideration? Um, uh, so that's, so, so, so maybe you not, maybe not would have gotten or that job specifically, mm-hmm. but I think that you have to consider that it does play a certain role in regards to how people are going to hire you. And so therefore there is the positive benefits of, of having people that uh, a built in base that are listening yeah. to you mm-hmm. um, because that's the, that's the spark that lights the fire. Yeah, absolutely. And I do believe that that's, it's definitely helped. I mean, it's giving, it's starting to provide more opportunities in general as right. well. I mean, I got to go to Sweden last a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Um, uh, largely due to the Instagram following and, and having that social media influence. Well, I think that's why, in a way, like I connected with you. And when I saw you taking trips to, to different places, helping people, I started to see sort of like this, this side of you and like, well, we, we hung out, but I reached back out and I was like, Hey dude, you know, let's, 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 let's chat. I like, you know, yeah, so, absolutely. I, so that's, that's an actual consequence of that. Amazing. And now we're here. And exactly. On this, <laughs> in this amazing podcast. So thanks for again for having me. Yeah. And I mean, I just, I've, I've enjoyed our conversations. You're, you're, you're so smart. You like blow me away with the, the amount of knowledge that you have, but also the humanity, the, the humanitarian side. And I want to dive into that, yes, but let's, let's like, so after the music managing and, and stuff, where did you go from there? Um, well, what's interesting is that at the, you know, I was, um, you know, I dropped out NYU to, to, to be a part of artists and audience and to start my own record company. And like that didn't go that well. Um, you know, literally sleeping in my car for a few <laughs> nights and, and having to, uh, run into old friends who, you know, basically I broke down crying and they gave me a $20 bill and said, Hey, go put gas in your tank and, and, uh, wow. and here, get a sandwich. And if you need to crash on my couch, you can. And, and so it was, you know, people that knew me that mm-hmm. were basically, cause I was too ashamed to just, you know, let my family know that I was like, I went out to LA and I completely failed, <laughs> you know, cause I was like, I'm yeah. not coming back until I, and, and, and literally it worked, you know, I was, um, you know, I ended up, giving my baseball cards to these guys, uh, in Van, like Van Eyes and getting Buddha and D rough. And they were managers of a Hollywood video store. And, and, uh, and I slept on their couch and I eventually got a job at what's known as the sunset tower now. And there was a, as a bellhop. And, um, I was, um, it was just really, really strange to go, you know, to be living there and then getting a job at like, at the, which it was the Argyle hotel at the time. And now it's this, and that's the sunset tower. Yeah. And I was parking cars and taking people's bags and, you know, making some money. And, and, and at a certain point, uh, you know, uh, Elijah, who at the time I was going to start to manage, uh, and, you know, he's like, listen, you know, my, my mom's out of town, uh, uh, doing a record in London and why don't you stay with me, you know, at this, at this, uh, at the, my house in Malibu. And, you know, again, like, so I find myself living at Cher's estate. Um, while driving into Hollywood to go, can I take your bag, sir? And then give Elijah his rent money. <laughs> so so that's how we started, you know, uh, the, you know, the, 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 the movement. And then we, you know, had, we made a demo tape and then I drove cross country and ran out of money in Atlanta 
but in you know in New or- and we got to New Orleans and again we got to see the Nine Inch Nails and the Marilyn Manson guys because they were over on Magazine Street with a new with a with a <laughs> studio. Um, and getting to New York and then working as a busboy and still just taking Elijah's demo and just shopping it around. I had a friend of mine who let me use their office his office during the day to 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 mm. shop Elijah's deal. Yeah. Uh, and the band was called Deadsy. And I was at, working at night until five in the morning as a busboy at Boom Restaurant. And my friend Rocco gave me a job. He's like, dude, didn't you used to come in here with like all these stars? And I was like, yeah, but you know, I'm, I'm down on my luck and I'm trying to start this record company and I need help. Like, I just give me, I, don't give me, I want to, I'll work. I want to work. So, you know, it's basically you're taking out the trash and rats are jumping on you. Like, you know, like, and you're just like, you know, like, wow. Like, like I, I went to boarding school. Like I like went to, you know, I, I'm choosing this path. But again, I was just so stubborn that I didn't want to like, just sort of like, all right, I'll go, go back to school and finish my degree and, you know, go into finance yeah. or law or, you know, become a doctor or any of those sort of things that people were supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be around music. I mm-hmm. wanted to start a record company. I, you know, I wanted to, to help artists with their, with their voice. And mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, people, I thought would, people would love me too. You know, like that was, it's, it's not exactly <laughs> all pure altruism at that point. You're just, you're still trying to, you know, get people to, um, to connect with you. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, one day, you know, just, you know, we did, uh, a, a very, pro- you know, prominent deal with Sire Warner Brothers Records. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had my record company. I was featured on the cover of DNR magazine as like mm-hmm. a wonderkind. And, uh, you know, what the, I got the style to shoot myself. It was like, <laughs> they're like, you were, we're bumping Jamiroquai for you on the cover. And it's just like, we just, and so I just, we did it in the catacombs, which were under Mod Street, where all the bands rehearsed back then. Oh, wow. The Beastie Boys and Sonic Youth. And yeah, they, and they were these, there was like six different levels. And yeah, and there was, there was a beast. You can actually see the Beastie Boys did a video down there, and it's just it was the it was literally catacombs, and you the, wow. you could rent one, and they had these crazy doors with locks. But basically, it was everyone rehearsed down there, everyone hung out and partied. And it was six levels, and there was no noise because again, it's like you're on these catacombs. So yeah, it was it was really an interesting part of of, of how, New York. How far down under, under the six level? I mean, it's like it went down six levels. Like it's like and so you know, like the uh, you know like so. You could see the brick. It's it's absolutely it was absolutely gorgeous. I don't know what's there now, but it's but it's definitely. I'll point the building out to you in Mott Street. Yeah. Um. So you know, and all of a sudden, like my parents are getting calls going, "Your your son's on the cover of TNR magazine, talking about launching a clothing company that's like half like bad prep kid, half goth." You know, so like <laughs> they're like, "What are you doing?" So um, you know, and that's and and that and that led to actually after that, you know, we we got the deal. And then uh, we had some label issues with Sire moving over to Electra Records and then becoming its own standalone thing. And, was, and then the the band and I parted ways. Um, mm-hmm. And and then I took over. Uh, I did uh, the new media for WooWare. My friend bought the you know half half of uh, WooWare from the Wu Tang Clan. <sighs> and so I was the director of new media for there, kind of helping fulfill like e commerce orders. And after that, I was just like, I need to go back and finish my degree. So I went back to NYU. Uh, under academic probation, I had a, they didn't want to take me even to listen to me. And I was like, listen, end of the day, I got, I was living out of my car. I started a record company with Warner, you know, Sire Warner Brothers Records. I think I could do some homework again. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, you can come back in. Um, and had to take all the classes over again that I flunked out of and got my GPA, but I'm like a 0.5 down to like, up to like, you know, three, six graduated with honors from the Gallatin, yeah, for the Gallatin <laughs> school. And then after that, uh, the lead singer of corn, Jonathan Davis called me up and he's like, Hey, congratulations that you graduated. And I was like, Oh, thanks. He's like, well, you're coming to work for me. And I'm like, no, I'm not. 
And he's like, yeah, you are. I'm like, no, I'm not. I was like, I'm not going back in the music business. It was like the last thing I wanted to do. And yet I was trying to get jobs being like in a secretary assistant at just companies just to pay rent. And I couldn't, no one wanted to even listen to me. And here I am going like, here, we want you to be the president of a record company, like paying you six feet. Like I was just like, how do you, how do you say no? So, and by the way, and I, and corn at the time were the biggest band in the world. They were headlining Madison square garden. Wow. Um, the firm, which was their management company, were incubating Limp Biscuit and Lincoln Park, and mm. they acquired you know all these di- different uh, you know movie um, uh, managers. So they were doing like Robert De Niro and and yeah. Scorsese, and and it was be you know, and so to be a part of that was something special. So you know I I I took that, and so and then right after that, um, like nine eleven happened, and I found myself uh, down town which is where i lived at the time and you know with the with the uh you know the buildings falling around me and and basically narrowly escaping the dust cloud of the buildings falling and then volunteering on the pile for weeks Mm. um and it was interesting because i tell people that that was i think the the you know it was such an intense moment where i saw the worst side of humanity but mm. then i saw on the opposite the, 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 the something i did not expect to see which was um the best side of humanity which was how do people help each other and mm. and i saw um uh i think rumi's got a great quote for this is he says take off the mask your face is glorious mm. and i saw people without their masks wow. and i said i want to spend i, I want to like i'm getting chills just talking about this yeah i, I I want to spend the rest of my life figuring this out. How do you figure this out? How do you get people to be in this state? How do you activate mm. this sort of sense of empathy? I mean, this is a disaster and it's tragic. And it's like, you know, I'm, I'm walking on, you know, there's, there's, you know, again, you know, there's, you know, there's, there's so much destruction. Yeah. There's like, there's, you know, like, like, and, and, and people are looking for their loved ones and, um, and there's so much despair, but, you know, but then there's so much outpouring yeah. It, it's, it's, um, it's very interesting when you have a tragic event that happens, what happens to humanity after that? Like, how do we pick ourselves up? How do we help mm. one another? And I think that what we're seeing in South Carolina is a, is a, is a prime example of that is that people like, well, Absolutely. you're just, wow, this terrible thing happened. And we're, you know, and the family's like, we forgive you. And all of a sudden there's this, and, but there's just all this loud pouring of love. And mm-hmm. it's like, it, it actually had the opposite effect <laughs> of, you know, of the, the causality of it. And I think the same thing with nine 11, it just it, it had the opposite effect of human beings rally. I think it reminds these events remind us of our humanity and remind us mm. of, of that life is short. Um, you know, there's a lot more to the world than, than our daily worries. Yeah. Uh, and we just have to sort of keep those in mind as we're going through our daily, yeah. uh, our, our daily chores and our daily strifes and tribulations and issues of, how do we make money this month to pay the rent and love and girlfriends yeah. and boyfriends and, and parents and, 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 and there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a surge in gas prices and, and, and like, and, and, and yuppies can't get their wheatgrass and oh my God, this is just terrible. <laughs> so, you know, I, th- I think you're like, I think like, like you're getting this, you know, and, the, and so they're reminding us of how we're, we're, we're more connected than we, than we know we are. And mm. that, and that sort of, I think planted the seeds of what impact became. Yeah. Um, which was how do you uh, how do you want to change your own life in order to help people and how to help people in order you know and and, and how do you help people to change your life? And it's, it's it, there's this there's this real interesting balance of 
I think there's um, of of how we give mm-hmm. of onto ourselves and how what we get back from that. Yeah, and and I'm still exploring the causality of that, and I'm still exploring what I feel when I'm in the state of that, and versus what I'm getting back. And I think there's there's uh, there's and I think we're just starting to see the beginnings of of the I think the evolution of of I think of human consciousness of of um of our of our own awakening of an evolution that is um about something more that we know that we're not the center of the universe anymore we know yeah. that um you know there there most likely are alien there's alien life out there <laughs> and that there's you know there's billions and billions of billions of other star systems that are that have all this these things that we don't yet know and yeah. the the ability to be a child again as we were talking about earlier the ability to sort of wonder what's out there exploring and sort of seeing that we're the same thing and that it's all interconnected, you know, mm-hmm. and in our time here, how do we make, how do we become like the best human beings that we can be yeah. for our families, for our friends, for humanity, for the environment, for the, I think that's sort of what we're, I think everyone's really looking for at the end of the day. And that's love in a way that's like, I have to be like kind of like cheesy about it, but you know, it's yeah. like, it's literally this sort of the, the power of this connection of what we're all looking for that we're not alone. Yeah. That we're, um, you know, that there are, that everybody is going through the same passage that we're here, that we're all scared, that we're all, we, we know we're going to get sick. Mm-hmm. We all know we're going to die. Yeah. We don't talk about it, but there's this, this journey that we're all on. And I think it's like, I think if we're, you know, and, and I do this all the time too, I get deer in headlights and you get scared and you don't know what to do. And you kind of like, just like, wow, am I, am I living a full life? Am I, am I, am I being all that I can, like, like I really, like what I was supposed to do? Am, mm-hmm. You know, am I supposed to be, you know, hey, um, how come I don't have this and I should have this now? Well, compared to other people and you're constantly judging and challenging and breaking yourself down and you're, we're so hard on ourselves. Yeah. When really at the end of the day, we're just supposed to dance. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like just like, and that is, and when you do that and you're left, all you want, your natural state is like, you want to help your friend. Yeah. You want to help your family. You want to help, again, like an issue that maybe is, that's important to you, whether it's a water issue and because you saw, you saw, um, from a trip in Africa that like, wow, mm-hmm. there's like, if I can solve the an issue around water, like, wow, that's like, it's, it's something that speaks to you. Like, and I think, I think a lot of things, particularly in the, in that space, um, people are connect with because it speaks to them personally. Yeah. And usually that's from something that they witness themselves. Mm-hmm. Like Scott Harrison's story from Shardy Water, like based on what he saw, mm-hmm. um, people, the diseases that they had were mostly from waterborne issues. Yeah. Um, it was something personal for him. Adam Braun from Pencils of Promise, you know, yeah. again, the, the child story of like, I just, you know, like I want I just want a pencil. Yeah. You know, like, and so there's these stories that become personal and then they become, mm-hmm. they become movements. And so what is your individual story yeah. that starts a movement? Mm. And I think the technology, if we're going to come full circle, yeah, is the music and the actual, uh, the platform in which you can craft your own song that changes yourself and changes the world. Yeah. And I think that's sort of the middle ground that we're all looking for. We're all either here the two on the left or we're two on the right. And, yeah. and I think that there's this sort of space in between if we get our, give ourselves a break yeah. and we listen a little bit and we can kind of just go. And it can be the easy, it could be anything from like helping someone across the street mm-hmm. to, you know, doing a fundraiser for $10,000. I think it's irrelevant what you do. I think it's yeah. just in the act of giving and let people see that too. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I sign 
I have like signatures where I put a happy face in my signature <laughs> because I look for someone's reaction when they see that. And it just, all of a sudden they have this big smile on their face when they see that smile and they yeah. say something to me and they say, why do you do that? And I'm like, because if I make one person a day smile, I've changed mm. the world. Wow. So that's beautiful. Thank you. I love that. That's just, that's just yeah. <laughs> no, it's so true. I mean, and, and sometimes we think that I, I, I'll say this for myself is that I feel like, I get into the space of like thinking that I have to make a, you know, the impact has to be on a large scale, but it can come down to just making somebody smile. It's right. Cause again, cause if you made that person smile and they went home and they actually took that smile and actually brought that to their children and their children actually felt good that evening and they decided mm-hmm. to do their homework a little extra harder. And all of a sudden that person decides to become a scientist. And all of a sudden that scientist is actually going to look at actually trying to solve an actual, like, I'm going to cure malaria right now. And then you actually go to school and get a full ride because all they wanted to do from, and all you came from that one smile you know like i just yeah it's the it's the butterfly effect mm-hmm. you can't like you, you you cannot there's causality in all the things that we do yeah and i think just the and all we can do is just be aware of the things that we say the things that we do how we act and don't get me wrong it's hard i'm not saying like oh i have it down at all like you know what i mean like it's yeah. just like it's a daily struggle i get out of bed you don't want to get out of bed you get like you know it's like we all we're all going through these things but i think that when you come to a level in which you actually are literally in the state of trying to be um, uh, that change. And when Gandhi said it wasn't like go out and change the world, he said, go change yourself, Mm -hmm. be the change, change yourself and the world changes. Yeah. And I think that's really the, the the thing, the onus that everybody can do because that's what you can control. Mm. You might not be able to control, you know, again, you know, a billion people being without water. But Scott Harrison can actually say you can start and have try. You could try. It's that yeah. old starfish story, right? It's like that. I don't know if you heard that story where there's like yeah. the kid and they're on the beach and you can't throw, you can't save all these starfish. Why are you doing that? And he just throws a starfish and he's like, tell that to that one. You know, it's like, it's literally, you just, you, you, you do one thing. Like, and, but I think yeah. that's, it's relative to anybody. And I think once you do that, you stop thinking about yourself as much. And when you stop worrying about yourself, mm-hmm. it's, you know, things start to happen. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I and I and what we're ha- and what we're seeing now is a, is a, is a convert. There's this um, openness now for um, that type of consciousness in which mm-hmm. people are really working on their mental health, their physical health, their spiritual health, their emotional health. Mm-hmm. They're uh, you know trying to a- a- apply better practices to be better human beings. Mm-hmm. And I think what we're going to start to see is the is the the trickle down effect of of people. Uh, putting the, that, those things into practice where I think like 15 years ago, the, people look at you like you had three heads. Yeah. Yeah. And that was actually my, my next question was like, how have you seen that the, the, the consciousness of cause shift from when you started, you know, after nine 11 mm-hmm. to when you started working with HuffPo mm-hmm. to now, I mean, and, and that's another thing I want to get into is the, the futurism of what we are, you know, of millennials and whatnot, but how have you seen it change and shift over the years? It's a really good question. Um, you know, when you look at technology and the different platforms that have come out recently, um, to let people know that you what you stand for becomes more important. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, we used to do that in different ways when there wasn't these this sort of easy the, the way in which we do it. Sometimes you'd write a letter to somebody. Mm-hmm. So you do it in a conversation. Um, you would post it on a bulletin board. 
you would uh, make little home videos if it was like with a cam, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, and today you could have experiences of, of, of sharing what other people are doing to help other people. Um, do you doing it yourself um, or promoting certain other causes that are actually out there doing it that have connected with you. And what happens is this really interesting thing in that people like to spread that forward. You, you're not, you don't get this, you know, sharing of like negative news as much as you do positive news. You know, the New York mm. times did an editorial, which talked about that good news travels twice as much, twice as like this, it shared, sure, excuse me, it shared twice as much as other news. Mm positive news. Yeah. So what does that say about us as human beings? What does it say about, um, how do we want people to think about us? Um, who we are, what we're doing is what there's one part of it is I only want you to see the best side of me because, but that's what catches fire in a way. Right. And is that right. people see that and they actually imitate that because they, they, they look for where they are in life through their friends and through their social networks and through their, you know, their family to gauge, am I doing this thing called life? Right. Am I, I got this down. Yeah. And so you kind of like, you kind of see where you are in altitude based on your peers a lot of ways. And I think the, the technology has opened that up where those things become experiences and those experiences become the new luxury goods in a way. Mm. So like where you are in that life. So if you're, you know, I think it's, someone's like, oh, I wish that I went to Africa to, to help those people. I never, you know, like as a, you know, versus, you know, you might've just been like gotten something nice to wear. <laughs> yeah. you know, but the same reaction is that I wish from one of your peers, like, Oh, I wish I had, I wish I did. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a connection with, with making people be envious of where you are in a certain way. Very true. And so there's a sort of that part of human emotion, which is, um, you know, how do you, uh, you know, you're trying to get a reaction, which is why people like people get so free, like how many likes you get on a, <laughs> or shares you get or how many like Instagram followers and people are really addicted to that. And there's a chem, so there's an actual, again, they've been studying the chemistry in our brains and the releases of releasing of oxytocin around those mm -hmm. and the addictive nature to it. It's like, again, why, you know, how we're programmed is, is um, literally directly related to things like this. And I think with millennials specifically, I think it's a combination of just, there's not just that, but also what do we stand for? Mm -hmm. It's the question I think millennials sometimes think to themselves, not out loud, but it's kind of like, what's different than their parents? Like yeah. punk rock and hip hop was a way of separating yourself from your actually parents yeah. and generations. Music was that, the ability to do that. I think that having uh, the, you know, the, the baby boomers and Gen Xs, and then you have Gen Y and, and which are millennials, you, you have this divide of kind of going, you guys didn't have it all figured out. And what we're going to do is we're going to separate ourselves by standing for things a little bit differently. Mm. Um, and I think the times were different. I think we're seeing, you know, an exponential increase in how fast life moves and how quickly information can move and, and innovation and that we're living longer. And, but I think the people are looking for more meaning and with looking for more meaning, I think it's, it's becoming more apparent that, you know, a part of who you are is actually how, you know, is for, is for standing for something. And that could mm. be, um, I think, you know, it could be politics in a certain, in, in a certain way for people to get behind their, you know, uh, uh, in this, in, involved in the system, particularly on a global scale, we're starting to see yeah. like democracies rise and, and, um, you know, the, the you know, the, the, the forces of which people of, of wanting them, everybody to have equal human rights. Mm -hmm. 
you, you, only, you would only be able to get that information in, in different ways uh, about 20 years ago. And now it's like you can consistently work to uh, have different messaging through multiple different platforms, through storytelling, through, you know, a communication strategy, mm-hmm. through, um, you know, various different um, uh, means in which to help tell that story and connect people. And I think that's, I think people are looking for that meaning now. And, and, and it's the companies that stand for something. I think it's the music that stands for something, which ignites movements and, and, and awakens souls and, and spirits. And I think art uh, is, is really going to be the, that's, that's really going to be, um, I think a lot of people's success is going to be come from standing for something. Yeah. And those value systems that's going to be created from this new generation. And I think if you don't have it, you're not going to stand around. You're not going to be around for too long. Yeah. Um, I, I, I find that I think the millennials kind of have a sense that the old way of doing things, that the American dream is dead. Long live the American dream. <laughs> exactly. It's not the white picket fence and 2.5 kids and living a suburban life. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, it's recreating a whole new American dream. And what is that American dream? And that's what's being created and what's being manifested right now in front of our eyes. And I think it's, and I think that's going to be, um, you know, I think once they get through the, the sort of like fear moment of trying to figure out who you are, mm-hmm. and I think people are growing up very quickly, sometimes too quickly. Yeah. Um, but these experiences are, you know, if you get through them and you will get through them, will shape uh, not just who you are for the rest of your life, but also how you're going to lead people, how your story becomes something of inspiration and strength for other people that have gone through stuff. Like I've, mm-hmm. I've you know, some of... Uh, people that are close to me have gone through some really heavy stuff and it was through that stuff that they actually use in which to inspire other people, whether to avoid those troubles in the future or that they um, ignite a full movements from that. I think we're seeing, I think we're seeing that across the board. You're talking about marriage equality. You're talking about the, the, the Mm -hmm. the final part of the women's rights movement. You you're talking about, you know, LGBT issues. You're talking about, um, you know, the, People are standing for things now, and yeah. and the fight is is with um, atrophy mm-hmm. within ourselves and yeah. and bad governance, which yeah. doesn't represent the people uh, and the place you want to live. And how do you get around sort of a system that is meant to support the you know the point one percent of one percent right. those interests versus the middle class? And I think that's sort of we're starting to see. And so once once the kids <laughs> realize it's like the sort of stuff stacked against them. Yeah. Um, they're going to use their buying power and their influence. And when people feel it hit their bottom lines and, and politicians feel like they won't get elected anymore. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's when change really happens. Absolutely. So now how do you see, you know, this, uh, you, we talk about the millennial generation and we're all about experience and, and, and it's changing and, and cause, how do you see that um, affecting the next generation? You mean generation Z? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, I see it being more integrated into the ethos of everyday life. I think it's Mm -hmm. now it's sort of, it's not, everyone's like, everyone talks about a social good movement. Yeah. I don't like that term because it basically says that everyone else is socially bad. Right. So everyone's like socially good over here. And so what does that make me already? You know what I mean? I think that's sort of, that's, and I think that's why you have, don't have more people getting behind it because it's kind of like, I'm inherently like, I'm I'm just a bad person because I Mm. cared about, like for if you're over here making money and getting a job and like, you know, like 
uh, hoping my government was going to take care of like of kids that are starving in Africa or that there will be education and for everybody in like in urban areas. So I'm going to put my head in the sand. That's typically sort of what most people do. Um, and so, uh, they don't feel like they need to get involved until it personally affects them. Uh, and that's sort of, so I think what's going to happen is I think that there is going to be such a, of a, uh, widespread, uh, connections of people that know everybody in a way where, mm-hmm. where there, there's this acceptance of everybody, women, gay, uh, poor, rich. Like it's, it's, it's I think just, that's going to blend together. And I think with mm-hmm. that becomes the, that, that ethos becomes even more ingrained in how generation X is ra- are raising their kids. And mm-hmm. the, and when the millennials start to have kids themselves, how they build that into it again, mm-hmm. My grandfather used to say, listen, you know, when you're, when you're young, you're a liberal, then you become a Democrat, then you become a Republican, when you get old, you become a conservative. <laughs> because your, 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 your value system changes as you get older, right? Yeah. And from him, for him, it did. And it's interesting to see if the new generations, if their value systems get older because they want to be, wow, I don't want to be, ta- there's too many taxes, so I'm going to now vote Republican because they're mm. typically the anti-tax party or they're, like, or they're not going to, they're not going to vote for new taxes. And so they're more of like less government, less government, um, you know, uh, you know, more, more, uh, free market systems yeah. that can allow for trade to, uh, take care of itself and develop. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, so that's going to be the, the biggest factors. How to, but I, but I think that generation is going to, um, is going to surprise people. Yeah. And I think it's the first generation where you're going to actually see where, I mean, you're, I mean, God, the five-year-olds are going to be born with like, you know, phones in their hands and like chip, you know, basically medical chips in their, in their, in their skin that can wow. register information. You know, parents will opt in for their kids to basically have the sort of, you know, little, little code in their skins when they go to the hospital, they actually know every <laughs> allergy they know. And you're going to start to see a lot of innovation Yeah, in that sense that the world's going to be, it's going to, it's going to happen very quickly, quicker than we think. It's cool and scary all at the same time in a certain sense. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Um, now, how do you see entrepreneurship integrating into like the future? I mean, you, we see a lot of, you know, we're in this movement of moving away from the American dream. And I think it's recreating the American dream. Exactly. Or yeah, recreating it. What do you think? Where do you think that's headed? Actually, it's headed back to what the American dream was, was entrepreneurship. I mean, again, like mm-hmm. I think a lot of, a lot of people started their own businesses and, you know, again, in the fifties and the sixties that people became their own bosses. A lot of ways, no, no, people didn't all of a sudden just go out and like, I can't wait to work for a big multinational company. They didn't really <laughs> exist. You became yeah. a tailor, you became a butcher, you were an actual, you were, you were a doctor, you were, you know, you, mm-hmm. you were, you were a small business owner. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, 75% of the jobs in the United States are done for people that have small businesses. They're, they're small business owners, you yeah. know, the, the companies that have like 20 people or less. Um, and so I, th- I, I, I think you're going to get back to the sort of micro entrepreneur, the sort of small business owner that can actually make money using technology that can run businesses in, in a, in, in a very efficient way. Um, and there's a new type of, of, of commerce that's opening up, uh, between people. The, 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 the issues are going to be that, you know, are we having, um, are we, you know, is what's happening to our manufacturing base? What is the United States going to manufacture and export? Mm. Entertainment's a big export, for example, or, you know, other types of natural resources. Yeah. So I think what's going to happen is that you have to have this sort of recreation of what it is to, to have an American dream. And that American dream 
in a way is working for yourself, you know, yeah. or can you have freedom within bigger companies that are giving a lot more um, leeway to people to create and innovate within those companies? Cause those companies understand that without innovation and without their employees being as, uh, as, as, as a part of the process, then they're gonna have to spend more money on turnover. Yeah. And so it, it becomes a real, uh, a very interesting balance between, uh, you know, big companies yeah. that are, that are huge and the small and these, these small entrepreneurs. And by the way, most of the companies that are big and massive right now started as small. And so, yeah. you know, you, you, you like literally, um, you have to incubate for the next great big ideas and the next great entrepreneurs and allow them, um, the opportunity that there's a market for them, uh, mm-hmm. to evolve. And I think we're starting to see a lot of that right now. A lot of that in the, in, in venture financing, uh, seed funding for entrepreneurs that have uh, great perspective, you know, great ideas for great products and to disrupt and, and to be part of different markets. And I think that where it was a lot harder to get money to start those things, I think you're starting to see a lot more money free up. And then with the new Jobs Act, which allows people to crowdfund ideas and own a percentage of that company hmm. versus just sort of here's some here's some stuff. Thank you. I'll, I'll put your name on the credits for a film, yeah. but to actually own a piece of the actual value of that film mm-hmm. um, is going to be game changing. I think it's going to take some time, but again, when you can have, you know, 2000 people own a next Facebook using just because they see an idea and yet they own oh. stock, you know, they're seed funders because they basically put in a hundred bucks or 200 bucks, depending on what the value proposition is yeah. for that thing. I think it's, it's going to be really interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, it's a very, very interesting time. It's very, yeah, that's very interesting. Now jump back to, we talked a little about YouTube stars mm-hmm. and YouTube as a technology. And I'm curious, you, you mentioned like the connection that YouTube stars are creating with their audience. And I mean, people are making thousands and thousands of dollars mm-hmm. as YouTube stars and content creators. What's the psychology of, of this? Like how how is this happening? I mean, you see so many like YouTube stars making like the dumbest videos online and, and people are, they're getting millions and millions of views. Mm-hmm. I think it goes back to truth in a way. Mm-hmm. And, and what I mean by that is that you can say, well, what do you mean YouTube stars? That's kind of like the sort of trivial. I think the connection between people is the truth. I think that people see themselves. Mm-hmm. As those people, it's kind of like what there was initially television and movies where there's a suspension of disbelief in the character, and there's a connection of this Joseph Campbell monomyth, uh, the hero who doesn't really want to be a hero, but gets thrown into this sort of drama. It unfolds, and the next thing you know, you're Luke Skywalker, you know, and you're using the Force, and you're 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 out, <laughs> you're 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 in the, the the greatest movie franchise of all time. All right. Um, I, I I literally like I think that what what you know, that, that trans moved over into, you know, this real scripted reality television, which were basically anybody can have their 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. The famous Andy Warhol famously said, and I think now we're sort of seeing it as becoming more 15 seconds mm-hmm. because you have these stars, YouTube stars and those followers. And by the way, it's not like those followers are on all the time. Can't wait for them to pop up. Right. But, but, and again, as distraction becomes ever more, present with regards to we went, Hey, Hey, we're waving at you. Um, and if that individual is not performing that in terms of that relationship of that truth that once it did, because now there's 
there's more monetization opportunities of branding of Coca-Cola stuff or any yeah. types of other things that kind of pop into for these people to, to make a living off this more so than they already are. Yeah. People are not going to feel connected to them as well. I don't care how good the campaign is. I think it's more like the, they're, um, I think they're going to, they're going to feel that it's not being done for the right reasons yeah. and they're not as connected as much. Cause if, if you have 20 million people following you, you don't, you're not, you don't feel part of something anymore. Yeah. It's kind of like, that's, it's like, you know, connecting with a group that's sort of popular, but all of a sudden if they're selling out multiple nights in like an arena, it's not, you might not have the same feeling mm. that you are a part of that. You're a part of something. Sometimes it gets too mm. big. And so, um, I think there's going to be more, uh, types of stars using other different platforms, whether you're mm. a vine star or now you're in Snapchat to, uh, other platforms that are going to evolve where the individual is going to use that medium to have that connection, that truth, the connection of truth for that audience to feel like they're learning something or that they're not alone. Mm. And really what it, that's to me, what it comes down to is like, do you feel that there's other people out there that are, that are that reminds you of yourself and that, or that you're entertained in a certain way that connect to you. Cause there's yeah. something about that person, which is why you have that you're watching them. Yeah. Um, and you know, and, and maybe it is just entertainment and that's fine. Yeah. But I think that there's something deeper there, which is why that, and yeah, it's not a new phenomena. It's just an actual type of phenomena that has always existed. And if you quote McLuhan, the medium is the message. Yeah. And so there'll be other messages yeah. through other mediums. And so that's the, it's going to keep evolving, but it's the yeah. same thing. It's just, it's, it's literally, it's literally just, you know, um, of creating that connection. Yeah. So how can we as artists and entrepreneurs use that same connection of truth, uh, through our own social media? Good question. Technology? No, it's a good question. And I, and I think you need, and I think that people are so caught up in the sense of like more is more mm -hmm. and that's not true. It's like, you can, you know, you can have a million followers, but again, if 999,999 are, mm -hmm. are, don't really care, yeah, they're not very active and they're just getting like people just wanting to get, oh, please look at me, please follow me back. Or please, they're just looking for like a wave. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's really quality. That's not a connection. That's like, right. that's more admiration. That's more, ad, you know, that's more putting something out on a pedestal. Mm -hmm. But I really think that, you know, for artists to have a true, connection where these platforms can allow for um the interconnectedness of that art and and community to be to build mm -hmm. that's i think the is the special sauce right there is that how do you how do you take the art part of it and utilize and, and allow these platforms to facilitate a sense of that feeling mm -hmm. the ability to communicate in the way that you want to communicate with them and as well them coming back at you and to feeling a part of something to help build you and you build them. Mm. I think there's a, you know, I think these days it's a more participatory where both parties benefit. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that's like, you know, and that's for the artist to um, loop the audience, their their fans in more in, in different ways and mm -hmm. they have to be creative. Yeah. Um, and I think it's because all those people are looking for is like, I can be that too. Mm. I can do that. I can be a photographer. Yeah. I can create art and they just, they're just, just, you know, they're maybe just like their, their parents don't want them to, or they're, they're kind of like people are like, that's stupid. Mm -hmm. You know, why, why are you taking a photo of that flower? That's dumb. Yeah. I and mean, that's where it starts. Right. Yeah. 
your first camera and there's your phone and there's a flower. It's like yeah. everyone starts somewhere. You know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. you know what I mean? Like I'm sure there's a, in here, there's a, there's a, your first flower photo somewhere, but you but that's the, I think that's where, you know, the people, again, like, you know, um, it, it, it's, it's just to, you know, not, uh, not to get, you know, get, to, get too carried away where you lose that connection yeah. with your audience. And no matter how big it is, it's irrelevant because, you know, I used to tell bands when they played them, like if there's, if there's two people in the audience, you play the best fucking show you can for those two people because those two people are going to leave and go, I just saw the greatest band I've ever seen. Mm. And they're going to tell 10 people. And that's how it starts. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, you know what I mean? So do your best work, be, be who you are, you know, be, you know, be humble, but yeah. be fierce. Be fierce. Yeah. And humble. It seems like authenticity is kind of, is the key as well. Stay true to like what you're putting out there. Yeah. I would say authenticity is, is like the, is, is the, is the next, uh, true value, mm. uh, in the sense of, of people, really supporting something it's and it's really interesting because again there's this there's a fascination in the media with certain people where there isn't that authenticity but there's something that reminds them of themselves Mm. right um and i think there's a combined with the sort of law a lottery mentality of being nobody and then being somebody and rich and that everybody loves you and everyone wants to be around you and everybody wants to uh, take you to the best parties. And it's interesting because people get hooked on that for that, like that moment. If it, if it's able to happen to you, mm-hmm. most likely it won't. Um, and then that's, I think that hope that people are looking for. It's like, what is, please give me some relief from like my daily life of like, you know, that it's, that it's, you know, that I can be somebody and I can be loved. And yeah. add, and I think when they get them, a lot of people, when people actually that happens to them and when they get there, they realize that's exactly not, that is not what they are. Mm. And they're just a product in which to sell that fantasy back to an audience that is yearning for that and will buy, cons- will buy into it mm-hmm. by purchasing goods, by purchasing media, by consuming content on websites mm-hmm. to continue to make money for an institution that is like again, like uh, is is building up a new celebrity. Yeah, and I think that's where people have to be careful. It's not about a new celebrity. It's about there's artists, artists, and artists. There's there's, there's artistry and artists, and then there's celebritum, mm. which is the which is the actual science of celebrity in a way, like celebrity, mm. the 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 this sort of evolution of people having fame for no real apparent reason, and just that you're consumed. You can't not watch it. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a, uh, slowing down for a car crash. And then like on the, <laughs> and then like on the side of the road, you can't help but not look at it because you're constantly comparing yourself to these things, you know? Yeah. And, and, and that's a, and that's a global phenomenon. I think it's just, it's a part of human nature. It makes us actually technically feel better about ourselves when you can look at somebody else and judge them. Mm. It's a, it's, it's like a hit of, it's like a drug hit. You kind of go, ah, oh, my life's not so bad. Look at that. And so, and I, and I think that authenticity is what's, is what, is what endures. Mm. That's the difference. There's, 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 you know, Warhol talked about the 15 minutes of fame. Now it's 15 seconds. Yeah. Cause there's so many other people that are waiting in line. Yeah. And so with your 15 seconds, if you get it, how do you make sure that that trajectory takes you for, for, for having a good career in a, in a way that's, tr- that's true to you yeah. and your audience. 
or did you actually try to go for like, you know, like in a way that just wasn't true to you and it just fizzles out. I mean, again, like there's this, you can't be like this, like, Hey, do you remember so-and-so? Yeah. I wonder what happened to them. You know, like there's always that kind of question, mm -hmm. whether you're, you know, there's the old film stars, there's music stars that, you know, pop stars. And then there's people that endure because they are actually are really talented and they embrace these new things, but their truth is always there. Mm. Like, I don't think anybody really questions Madonna's truth. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's just th like that, you know, love or hater. There's just, it just <laughs> is to her truth. Yeah. But there's something to that. Right. There's something to these type of like these type of artists that continue to be who they are and don't pay any really attention to like what, like again, like, you know, like that, that naysayers or, or, um, you know, and they, they mess up too. We all mess up, but, but I, but I definitely think that's the, that's the, the authenticity. Yeah. You can't ever argue that Madonna is not being authentic. Yeah. Cause that's who she is. And that's why she's still here today. It's still relevant. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's great. Um, before we wrap up here, what would be your top three truths, piece of pieces of advice wow. that you would teach your 20 year old self? Oh my God. Um, <laughs> 20 truths that I would teach my just three, sorry, just, just three, three, just three. Cause I was like, just I, was like I, I got five <laughs> panics there. Um, that's such a good question. The first one that comes to mind is don't take things so seriously. Mm. So many times I just, I thought it was just like, I would die if this didn't happen. Yeah. I held on so tight. Like it just like, it was so tense about like just trying to control the outcome. Mm hmm. It's just, you, all you can do is your best. Yeah. You know? Um, that's great. Because when I, when I actually, when I remember getting that record deal, mm -hmm. that's all I wanted for like out of poverty and the, like all the pain I went through and crazy stories and all this stuff. And next thing you know, I remember we signed the contract and I was like, <sighs> okay, let's get to work. It lasted for maybe 10, 15 seconds. <laughs> and I thought yeah. it was going to be, I thought it was going to save me. I thought it was going to be, my life was to be taken care of. And it took 15 seconds and I was like, holy shit, this is not, this is just the beginning now. So it's interesting how we're all, we're, we have this lottery mentality. If I just had this, if I, so I think not taking things mm -hmm. so seriously, that's the most important. Um, second is just not to take things so personally either. Mm -hmm. Like it's most people are, I still do this today. This day. I was like, I always think it's like, you get it so, oh, people are judging you or people are talking about you or it's all about you. Everyone's too worried about themselves <laughs> and that they're not really thinking about you, you know, don't take yeah. it personally, but it's like, they're all, it's all about them. And it's not at this point um, to not be so worried that what people are thinking, what the people think about you and then yeah. you just have to go do it. And then sort of, you can, it's like that, wait, right. It's kind of like right when you get out, when you're, I guess, if we're going to use a surfing uh, euthanism example that you're paddling and there's gonna be like these waves you have to get through before you get out to where we catch the good waves. Mm -hmm. There's that first sort of like rough patch you got to get through. Don't worry if people sort of like criticize you. And most likely those people are going to be your family. Yeah. We're going to be like, you can't do that. That's stupid. When I was moving to India, which I didn't really get into <laughs> that. That's like, people were like, that's just the dumbest idea I've ever heard. You're going to give up a music business to move to India. I'm like, uh-huh. And people cut me off and there's people I didn't really talk to ever again. And there's people I just met and who were just like, Hey, can I help you while you're on your trip? Can you want to, yeah. do you have a, you want to sleep on my couch? Yeah. Um, before I did that. And then the, and then the third advice that I would, that I would give myself is to fail more. Yeah. 
and that that I, that I remember the one the, the greatest thing and I still have this piece of paper I remember in in I was living in Dumbo it was right after we were, you know I was working with the band that we were, and I came up with this idea at the time I was like what if you actually created a water product that actually helped people in different ways so it would be like a fat burning water there'd be like antidepressant <laughs> water and I named it Smaqua <laughs> And like, and I remember pulling the bit like this, I'm going to create a water company that's actually going to have like supplements in it. No one was doing it at the time. I remember there was something maybe Sobe was kind of touching on that a little bit, but no one else yeah. was doing that. And I remember going to a guy who was actually on the board of a water company. He goes, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I put, I just, but I was, I remember going through uh, my papers and I found the, the, the plan I wrote out and it's like, what's the supplement water business today? It's yeah. like what it's smart water become, yeah. you know, what they bought by Coca-Cola. I mean, there's like, it's everything has like some sort of sort of twist on, on a drink or a water like that. And it just, just a show is like, and by the way, I could probably start it today and it'd still be successful because there's still a market for it. But the point that I'm making is that like at the time when I thought it was a good idea, I didn't want to fail. Yeah. Right. Mm. And I listened to somebody who was basically like, that's dumb. As opposed to me just like, no, I just, I know this is going to work and trusting your gut. Yeah. And a lot of it has to do with timing and all the other stuff. But again, like, I think it's, you know, I think it's like, you just got to trust your gut. So that yeah. was like, again, like, don't be afraid to like, just at least try something different and, you know, get it, just get the first steps of it going yeah. and see what happens with it. If you need to shut it down, you shut it down. If it didn't work out, it didn't work out. If, yeah. but, it, but again, if the, but, you know, but, but some, but if the people that are successful are the ones that actually continue to grind every little bit every day mm-hmm. and whether it's a second business or they're, you know, they could, most likely now it's easier to have an online business versus, you know, the, mm-hmm. to do things that can get you closer to a dream. Yeah. And I think that's, it's the people that actually think it's going to happen overnight and they'll have that 15 minutes and well, how come it hasn't happened to me already? And the people that grind for five to 10 years. Yeah. And just like the next thing they have the success and they're like, wow, you're an overnight success. How do you feel? It's like, can I show you the past nine years? Mm-hmm. And they think that's the thing, and that's what, and that's the, and that's the, that's the little bets that you take. To, to quote Peter Sims, the author, um, but it's those moments of failure over and over and over again to realize mm-hmm. you're not going to be that thing tomorrow, and you should probably never will be. But as you keep moving things forward, there eventually you're going to look back and go, oh look at look what I just, look what I just built. I think it's a great. I think it, it's Will Smith said it best. Is like him and his his father helped and his brother to actually build a, basically build a wall Mm -hmm. and basically said, don't worry about building the wall. Just focus on playing the perfect brick right now. Mm. One at a time. Just focus on the next brick. Focus on that brick. And eventually over time you had a perfect wall. And that's the difference of it. Do you want to build a wall or do you want to just like, I'm just, I love my art. I love, I'm just going to build this brick. Mm. Perfect. Next one. (laughs) That's beautiful. I think that's, and I think that's, and I think that's how we have to live our lives and it's so hard. And, and so it's like, I, I try to do it every day as well. So. Wow. Well, that's inspiring. Very you're inspiring. In, you're inspiring. <laughs> Thank you for <laughs> Thank having you. me. Thank you. And last question, Shoot. speaking of inspiration, the last question I love to ask everyone, all my guests is what does live inspiration mean to you? Is that a question for the audience or me? That was for you. Oh, that's for me. Yeah. Live inspiration mean to me. Um, it means to be the best human being that I can be so other people can be inspired. Mm. Love that. I, I can't make other people be inspired. All I can do is sort of be myself and 
and people can ask, how do I do what you do or all those things? And I think it's just, you know, I, I can just, if I can just be like, you know, as I feel like one of the better human beings or the best human being that I can be to me, that will inspire so many more people mm. than me, you know, sort of getting out there with a bullhorn going, you should be inspired. You know, and I, I really think, mm -hmm. I really believe that, you know, if, you know, we lead these lives that other people are just in awe of and really live in that awe and be a child mm -hmm. and sort of be like constantly helping other people, constantly creating things, constantly trying to tr try new things out and to, and to not worry about the small things that don't matter as much mm -hmm. and to just be who you are, that truth that is yourself and to be mm. unique and to be, uh, this sort of like this, um, this, 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 uh, this being that is actually having this incredible experience for the moment that you are unlike anybody else and you're not your parents mm -hmm. and you're not where you live and anybody come, everybody comes from somewhere and everybody has the ability to make the best of it or they make the worst of it. And I think mm -hmm. that the inspiration is the inspiration that you find within yourself that you get and you can about other people that inspire you, whether it's a book by, by, you know, Marcus Aurelius or Benjamin Franklin to Thoreau yeah. going into the woods, to, to, to reading a Tony Robbins or Deepak Chopra book over here, you know, or, or again, like you're reading Tim Ferriss or, um, you know, blogs online from people that are doing amazing things and they're inspiring you to, to go uh, step outside a comfort zone and to try something new. I think mm -hmm. that's the, that's how you live in an inspired life because living an inspired life is inspiring yourself, waking up every day mm -hmm. and inspiring yourself. And through that, you'll inspire other people. I love that. I love it. So that's, thank you that. so much. Thank you. And where can people find you online or follow you? Um, I want to find out because it's like, again, I'll be like, Oh, there's someone's following me now. Uh, at surguts S is in Sam, I R G U T Z. That's a, at, on Twitter and, uh, and on Instagram. Perfect. Well, thanks again. No, no, thanks for having me. It was really a pleasure. And I really appreciate coming to coming on here today. This is amazing. Thank you. Let's do it again. All right. All right. Peace. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode of Shop Talk Radio with Brian Sergitz. I am your host, Nick Onkin. And if you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love it if you could share it or leave us a good review over on iTunes because that helps us spread the word because this podcast is all about you and to help make your life better and unlock your inner creativity and outlook on the world. So we'd also love to see where you're listening to the episode. So... Drop us a post on Instagram at Nick Onkin, hashtag Shop Talk Radio. We'd love to see where you're listening and being inspired. So with that, we will see you next time. Spend our whole lives, another 